Alright all you movie junkies and cinephiles, it's time for the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. And welcome, one and all, to episode 172 of the SLS Cast. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Cessna Skyhawk episode of the SLS Cast. Because it turns out that Cessna... Aircraft company made a single-engine, high-wing, light airplane called the Skyhawk, otherwise known as Cessna 172. And with that little bit of Cessna knowledge, I, of course, am Matt, and coming to us from California is our lovingly written-out and tennisly reaxed, reaxed, tennisly relaxed, Sony employee. Ah, uh, that tastes. God, this is probably the single worst beer I've ever purchased a six pack of. I am proud to say that and share that with you and our favorite listener. I've got some beer chilling in the fridge. I recently acquired, thanks to uh, Mr. Beer, I recently acquired three cases of the 13th can. An ode, as it were, to the 13th man of Texas A&M. And uh, it's it's an ale, but I haven't had a chance to try it because it's still cooling, still chilling. Is there a beer that you've ever had that you totally regret purchasing a pint of? For example, oh, yes. something so dark, so frothy, oh, or... I can't... I cannot remember... Uh, okay. Um, Hubble and Hudson, up in the woodlands, back when it was still actually a full-on grocery store, they had acquired for their beer cooler this one particular brand of an IPA, and I cannot think of the name of it. Oh, I wish... I, I really wish I could. Uh, this stuff is like... It, it only comes out like once a year. Uh, very, very limited number. High prestige. And this thing is like just ridiculous alcohol percentage for and, and for the beer. And it comes, you know... And you can only buy it by the bottle. You cannot buy it anything other than the bottle. And they limited you to like three bottles of this stuff. And, eat, and it was just 12-ounce bottles. And each bottle was like $15. And so my dad and I were like, oh, we got to get this. Holy crap, we have to try this beer. And so we got this got this beer after spending $30 on two bottles of this beer. And it was disgusting and we couldn't finish it. And it's one of the few beers of that ilk like that that I've ever poured out. I'm very close to dumping out the rest of this six-pack of beer. Uh, And you know what? I'm going to go ahead and tell you what beer I am drinking because it's, it's that bad. This is from the quite popular brewery in San Diego. Ballast Point. Matt, are you familiar with Ballast Point? Uh, Their most popular beer, I think, is Sculpin and their Grapefruit Sculpin. I am not familiar with um, with this beer at all. Well, Californians love their hoppy beer. No matter where you go at a brewery, I would say a majority of the places... 70% of their beer selection has an astronomical amount of hops in it. And this particular beer is 
a uh, watermelon dorado. That's what it's called. Ballast Point watermelon dorado. A double Indian pale ale with natural flavor flavors or flavors, and it has a ten percent alcohol by volume percentage. I bought this actually some time ago, and this is only my the second one I've had. And every sip, I'm rem- I'm just reminded of the fourteen ninety nine that I spent purchasing this, and. Whenever I drank the first one last week, since then, an article came out. I I don't remember if this was the original article or not, but EliteDaily.com that links hoppy beer to psychopaths. And it's, you're probably a psychopath if you like drinking this type of beer, says science. And that type of beer, ladies and gentlemen, is indeed IPAs, hoppy IPAs. Are you an IPA fan, Matt? Are you a psychopath? I, no. I actually do not like IP. That is the one of the few um, types of beer that I just cannot get behind. I do not like IPAs. I just want to mention this little article here. Scientists came to this conclusion after asking 1,000 participants to rank a variety of foods on a six-point scale. After ranking different foods, they were asked to complete a personality questionnaire. Scientists then compared the results, concluding that the more a person favors bitter flavors, the darker his or her personality tends to be. Apparently, they came to this conclusion based on an evolutionary trait. We have to view bitterness as a warning sign, considering bitterness often signals something could be toxic or harmful. It's very interesting. Like, there's a... Where I live, in this small town in the suburbs of L.A., we have our very own brewery. And a number of their beers are very good. And for a brewery that is known for their hops, every single one of their beer has a hops taste to it. So if you order a blonde ale or a brown ale or a red ale, it all tastes like hops. Basically, this is all coming around to me saying that by the end of this show, I might be a little intoxicated by drinking very bad hoppy beer. And Matt is doing rails of cocaine. We're just going to throw yes. it out there. Yes. Uh, you know, because as the song says, I can't feel my face when I'm with you. Anyway. <laughs> so how was, how was your past week? Well, the kids were on spring break. I was not. Um, and after my harrowing experience on last Monday, this is the first day of spring, by the way. It's March 20th for us. We're actually recording a day early. Um, and uh, so it's shockingly cold outside. I don't know why I'm throwing that in there, but it is. Uh, but, but, but I am doing so. Um, and so I still had school and my normal stuff. I um, discussed my master's plans um with one of my professors who has decided to take me under her wing, as it were, so that I may get into the correct program and do all that good stuff. Um, so that was cool. Uh, Friday, we had our block party. Is she your we... Robin Williams, your Dead Poets yes. Society teacher? Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. Except it's history, and we don't stand on our desks. Do you bang anyway. on your desks? In your history course, do you ever have those... Late 80, early 90s, informative movie moments where you feel like you, as a group, bonded in a very creative, life-enduring way? No. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, 
it's honestly, it's it's pretty. I mean, with, with kids desperately just trying to be able to text and look at their phones and shit all day, um, it, it's it's just not. It's just not that way anymore. Uh, but let's see. So Friday, though, we had our block party, which was fantastic. Uh, we were, I mean, it was, it lasted a good eight, nine hours. And we had, you know, tons of cooking was had and grilling and, oh yeah, it was fun. And then um, over the weekend, though, I got a reply from the manager of that special little theater from my experience on Monday. Oh, Yes. The not so. Would you like to? The, would you like to hear the highlights of the reply? Oh, that'd be good. I think we would okay. all enjoy that. All right. So, um, apparently, the employee. Oh, actually, it says every employee. I'm going to read directly here from. It says that every employee is trained and repeatedly told, "quote You have the power to make a customer happy." End quote. And it said that the cashier has been here for over two years and knew the policy and utilized it many times. Um, but apparently. Um, she had been having some issues with coupons and stuff and was really worried about, uh, their, apparently their magic number is $10. If your register is over or short by $10, that's like a big deal for them. And there apparently had been a series of coupons going on or something that morning. And so she was really worried that, uh, she was gonna, she was in the danger zone of her $10. But the manager also says there's no way that 15 cents would have made a difference, but whatever. And for those of you who are confused, last week Matt told us a tale of a 10 cent dime issue at a local movie theater and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And so then so so apparently that 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 employee has been, you know, taken care of whatever fine. Fired? Did you get uh, an employee fired? No, no, terminated no, 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 not fired. even just, better. Just actually no, no, they just actually talked to it and made sure everything was cool so it wouldn't happen again. If you see so, this just, guy again, make him happy. I wanted happy. to make sure I, I wanted to make it abundantly clear that I did not blame the cashier here. Um, so whatever. Uh, but then it the uh, it says here, secondly, you had questioned my whereabouts uh, and why I didn't answer the radio. Well, around that time of day, <laughs> what, a, what a day to be a manager at a movie theater. Well, around that time of day on Monday, I was unclogging a toilet and mopping up the mess. I only had one usher, and he was tearing tickets due to attendance that morning, so I was having to assist in that department. I sat my radio at podium during the task, and I am sorry I did not hear the call. So apparently... They had a worse day. <laughs> yeah. Apparently the manager was dealing with shit. Seriously, dealing with some shit. Uh, at any rate, they offered me uh, four passes to come back. And I, I... So I will eventually reply and be like, Again, I don't want anything. I don't. I don't ever do this stuff because I'm trying to get free shit. As a matter of fact, I think... That's why most employee or most you know, retail establishments and employees hate that because 99% of the time it's just some asshole trying to get free shit. So I will reiterate my point of I don't want anything. If you've talked to the person, fine. Next time, just take your radio with you. <laughs> well, at least uh, they responded. That is the important they thing. They did. It, and it took, them, uh, it took them five days. To get back to well maybe that was a, an incredibly clogged toilet indeed indeed 
So anyways, yeah. So that so that's what's up. And I, and also in the email world, we don't have any email this week. So man, my lips are chapped. That's an interesting way to lead into the news. You want to talk about news now? Sure. <laughs> All right. Here we go, folks. It's the news. <laughs> Okay, and um, I've had just a really, really shitty day, and I will own up to not being as prepped as I should be. I only have one piece of news. So here it is. From Deadline.com by way of Anthony D'Alessandro. Steven Spielberg and Harrison Ford team up for Indiana Jones 5. Disney sets July 2019 release. And in further news... People around the world scratch their heads and go, but fucking why? Um, yeah, so that I'm not even going to read this article. Please feel free to jump in. It actually is a pretty short article. It's not that big of a deal. It goes over the history, the gross um, take on all the films and everything. Um, and then, again, just says that they're going to be doing it for 2019. Um, I... This is just a terrible, 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 terrible idea. Terrible idea. Do you agree, Tim? You know, I don't think it is as terrible. Uh, I think now that I love George Lucas, I think he's given us so many great films and franchises. I don't know if this is true or not, but it seems like it was his input on Crystal Skull that created the mess of... The Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. And now with George Lucas out of the picture, and with it being solely Spielberg, Kathleen Kennedy, and who's writing it? David, I can never remember how to remember, or how to say his last name. Coep, or David Kep, C-O-E-P-P-E, I think. Uh, hang on, I'm looking here. It, it doesn't say who's... Let's see. It doesn't say who's writing it. It does say that they're currently looking at Chris Pratt to join in. Um, it's just that's just a wish list. That's not anything firm, and that George Lucas is not involved. Yeah, and I think without so that's all I can see there. I don't know who's writing. I mean, as long as people understand that it's not going to be the Indiana Jones that we know and love from the eighties. He's going to be older. It might be more. Just straight up adventure, not a whole lot of action, and maybe more of a cool, fun story to it. And if that's the case, I'm totally fine with that. The action is not what defines an Indiana Jones movie. It's the story, or a good Indiana Jones movie. It's the story, it's the characters, uh, the themes, and the filmmaking. And if this movie has all of that, then I'm down for it. But it's not the greatest news for a film following Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. So I can understand why people aren't necessarily looking forward to this one. Okay. Well, fair enough. All right. And again, that's my news. So take it away, Tim. So my first piece of news is from Deadline.com. Mike Fleming Jr. wrote this. Michael Jackson, Chimp Bubbles, Get Stop 
motion animated movie with Anomalisa's Dan Harmon. Yes, Bubbles the Chimp. <laughs> we talked about this a few months ago, I believe. And we this this was a film that was on a on one of the Hollywood screenwriters blacklists or you know the blacklists of movies that never get made or that have yet to get made, and it looks like it will actually get made, which is kind of entertaining. Exclusive, the blacklist topping Isaac Adamson's script Bubbles about Michael Jackson's famed chimpanzee companion has been acquired to be turned into a stop motion animated feature in the spirit of Anomalisa. The acquisition was made by Andrew Korchak and NQ and Dan Harmon, and his Starburns Industries production company will produce the film. Harmon exec produced Anomalisa, which was nominated for the Best Animated Film Oscar, after it created a stir at the last Toronto Film Festival and got acquired by Paramount. Harmon is also the veteran TV writer and the creator of the NBC sitcom Community, Bubbles tells the story of Michael Jackson's life and history from the perspective of the pet chimp, which got a close-up view after being adopted by Jackson from an Austin, Texas research facility and given residence at the Neverland Ranch in 1983. He became Jackson's constant companion until he became over-aggressive and was moved to a monkey sanctuary in Florida. The script has been considered a very inventive way to tell an unauthorized story of Jackson without needing permission. Adamson and Lee Stoby will be exec producers, and Harmon and Korchak will produce. And the article goes on from there. Matt, do you know a lot about uh, Michael Jackson and his pet chimpanzee? I honestly didn't realize Michael Jackson had a pet chimpanzee until I heard about this film. Oh, yeah. It, it, the, I mean, he's, gosh, that was like a really big thing back in the late 80s, early 90s. As a matter of fact, the actual song Leave Me Alone. Uh, features bubbles quite prominently really yes like singing <laughs> no no nothing, <laughs> nothing like that it's just basically the the whole the whole gist of leave me alone is you guys don't understand and what you what little you do try to understand you simply take out of context and turn it and make it into paparazzi bullshit and everything so you know what just fuck it just leave me alone and um yeah it's a Pretty cool video. And what do you think of Dan Harmon doing this film? He is probably best known from, well, not only just Community, but he does a lot of the Adult Swim shows, or produces many of the Adult um, Swim shows. I think I think that if anyone can give it the appropriate amount of outrageousness with the, while simultaneously giving it some kind of firm grounding, yes, um, Dan Harmon, I, I believe, can do it. Cool. So... Alrighty, my next piece of news here, via thehollywoodreporter.com, this here is written by Greg Kilday, Netflix picks up The Little Prince from Paramount, that is the film The Little Prince from Paramount. The animated feature, which had been scheduled for a March 18 theatrical release, will now go to the streaming service instead. Netflix has picked up Paramount Pictures' domestic rights to The Little Prince, the new animated film based on the 1943 book by Antoine de Saint-Exupéry, E-X-U-P-E-R-Y, probably. I very much so botched that. The studio had originally slated the movie to open in U.S. theaters on March 18th, but then quietly pulled it off that date. It is now expected to premiere stateside on the streaming service later this year. 
The film, directed by Mark Osborne and an Oscar nominee for Kung Fu Panda, premiered out of competition at the Cannes Film Festival last May and has grossed $100 million internationally, excluding the UK, Australia, Scandinavia, and Spain, where it was handled by various distributors. Last month, it was awarded France's Caesar Award for Best Animated Film. And the article goes on to say that the film combines 3D computer animation and stop-motion animation. And the voice cast is pretty impressive. It includes Jeff Bridges, Rachel McAdams, Paul Rudd, Marion Cotillard, James Franco, and Benicio Del Toro. Uh, I was actually looking forward to seeing this movie this past weekend and reviewing it with you, Matt. I was sad when I heard that Paramount pulled the, uh, pulled the movie from their release schedule at the last minute, like this article said. But I'm very happy that Netflix is around to pick up a film like this. Matt, you asked me if I was able to find anything about why Paramount dropped the movie. I couldn't find anything. More than likely, my best guess is that they felt that the movie wouldn't do well, especially this past weekend for whatever reason. I don't know. Maybe the tennis tournament in Indian Wells this weekend was too big of a draw for people to go to the movie theaters. I don't know. But yeah, uh, Matt, are you a, fr- a fan of The Little Prince? I'm actually not as familiar with this story. Uh, I've never read it, but I understand it. it's a very popular piece of literature i too am unfamiliar sir so at least we'll get to find out when it comes to netflix now after all this i mean we're gonna have to watch it so ladies and gentlemen we might be cultured in film but books (laughs) not as much unless if it's about hitler and I can talk a lot about Hitler and genocide. I know a lot about genocide. And another article from Deadline.com, the International Union of Cinemas takes a stand against the screening room. The risk here is not just to cinema operators. This is an article written by Anthony Alessandro, Matt's best friend, and Anita Bush. This is kind of an update from the movie theater side, other than excluding AMC, their views on the new home movie watching screening room box thingamabob that all these people, all these filmmakers are behind and the guy behind Kickstarter is creating so that we could watch newly released films, actually the day that they'd be released in movie theaters, we'd be able to spend 50 bucks and watch them at home. Cinemas other than AMC do not like this as much. So uh, this article here, the International Union of Cinemas, yes, there is a union for cinemas, a European organization repping uh, exhibitors across 36 territories, has issued a statement this morning against Sean Parker and Prim Akararju's screening room concept. Uh, And this article was released on March 18th. So you have an idea of dates. The International Union of Cinemas, UNIC, the European trade body representing cinema associations and key operators from across 36 territories, has today set out its position regarding media reports around the proposed screening room initiative. The vast majority of UNIC members will view the screening room proposal with great concern. The model, as outlined, seems to offer little benefit to cinema operators and their distribution partners, while representing significant potential risks. 
Well, it is, of course, up to each operator to agree terms around a film release. With partners in film distribution, UNIC maintains that the exclusive theatrical release of a new film helps create unparalleled levels of audience awareness and ultimately benefits its performance across all platforms, including VOD. All the evidence we have shows that exclusive offers work very well in digital markets and that they help to maintain audiences' desire for high-quality content. It is also known that online piracy has a hugely destructive impact on every stage of the film value chain. We are therefore very concerned about a model that might result in a proliferation of high-quality copyright-infringing films online during the theatrical release and beyond. The risk here is not just to cinema operators, but to everyone contributing to the wider film ecology. The past decade has known that disruptive interventions such as the screening room do not always yield the greatest commercial or societal benefits. The music sector is a good example of this. Operators across Europe will strive to continue to offer high-quality and exclusive cinematic experiences at an affordable cost to audiences from all ages in all walks of life. Yesterday, M. Night Shyamalan, Brett Ratner, and Roland Emmerich joined John Landau, James Cameron, and Christopher Nolan as those filmmakers vetoing the screening room's proposal for a day-and-date service that would debut major studio titles in the home on the same day they hit the multiplex. Today's statement by the International Union of Cinemas also reads that, quote, no studio or major European film company has so far stated that it is in support of the proposal, end quote. In addition, today, in various trade reports, the UK Cinema Association, which represents 90% of British cinema operators, thumbed down the screening room over piracy fears in the fact that there wasn't any evidence to suggest that consumers would pay 50 bucks to rent a major studio release the same day it hit theaters. End all quotes there. Hmm. That's interesting. What do you think about that, Matt? Well, since they think it's so so if since they believe it's already doomed to failure because people find the best value in going to the theater and that's what really creates the marketing drive is knowing you have to go then what are they worried about? They should have nothing to worry about and they should totally let this thing go. There's another article that came out earlier on Uh, before the article I just kind of read, that rebuffs what these critics are saying about piracy. And this one here is from Gizmodo. Uh, This article, Movie Theater Resistance to Streaming, completely misses the point. This one's written by Catherine Chinacosta. And I'm just skipping down to uh, closer to the bottom of the article here after they quote and respond to various complaints from the National... Association of Theater Owners, which is actually NATO. Very interesting. And in response to the piracy claims, they say this, both the National Association of Theater Owners and the Art House Convergence appear to be addicted to jargon. Ironically, the Art House Convergence is solidly against Green Room, seemingly because of how easy it would be to abuse, as opposed to the National Association of theater owners being obsessed with the sanctity of the exclusive theatrical release window. Both of them are getting this wrong. For one thing, a dedicated pirate isn't going to 
be deterred because one venue is close to them. Second, a person pirating isn't necessarily someone who cares enough to go to a theater. Art House Convergence is more concerned that people will use Screening Room to illegally screen movies for large groups, which is slightly legitimate, but assuming that Screening Room is intended only for private private use, anyone using it that way is breaking a law. The association wants to keep an iron grip on people seeing things, and they want people in theaters all the time. The only way the industry can see to do that is to make sure that there isn't any other way to see movies. Ironically, the art house convergence probably has the least to worry about, and AMC probably shouldn't be backing Screening Room. The audience for small independent art house theaters are still going to go to those theaters. They want the experience of going to a nice venue. AMC, on the other hand, charges an arm and a leg for a barely passable experience. I agree with that. And that's the experience that's going to save the theaters, not exclusivity. The reason to go to a theater is to get out of the house. Maybe you grab a dinner or drinks beforehand. Maybe meet up with friends or family or whatever you want. It's a chance to go out. A nice theater adds to the evening on the town. A megaplex does not. Megaplexes basically hope that the need to do something when it comes out combined with the convenience of their size will keep people coming every week. And the article does continue a bit there with numerous replies and comments. I wholeheartedly agree with this. I think I I, I like the idea of of whittling down these megaplexes to these fun, groovy Three screen cinemaplexes or single screen, like River Oaks. They have uh, in Houston, the old movie theater in Houston, they have one large screen and they, they, they have two smaller ones upstairs. They do art housey movies, of course. Sometimes they show bigger films. But that's the thing is that certain movies deserve to be shown at the movie theater. And those are the type of movies tacked onto that. You, if you have a great theater going experience, where you're treated like you, uh, you know, like, like like they actually deserve the fifteen or eighteen dollars you're giving to them, then people will flock there every weekend or every couple weeks or something like that. Do you agree with that, Matt? Do you think that is how movie theaters should be or could possibly be in the near future? Well, I don't know if they could or I mean, I don't know. I mean, the simple fact of the matter is, is that. We're in a world, in a world where people consume their media why digitally and not going to a theater. Something needs to happen to revitalize movies as a whole. Um, if you want people to go to the movie theater, you have to you have to give them an incentive. And it doesn't matter what, how you want to structure the theater um, or how you want to decide which movies go in when and in what format and how. You just need a good product. And the simple fact of the matter is, is that in, you are literally creating more and more of an atmosphere where it's just not worth it to go to the theater. So I don't know. I, honestly, I don't know. They just This whole fucking thing needs to be rethought. I think at this point. Yeah, I've talked about AMC before and horrible experiences going to AMC, whether it be the the young staff, the quality of the theater itself, the quality of the projecting of the film. And I know I've talk, talked about Arclight, which is a, a popular movie theater chain in the L.A. area. 
but it's all like there there are no early bird fees or uh, specials like you can never get a seven dollar ticket all their tickets are like 16 or 18 bucks which is great and you know that goes to you know not a lot of advertisements or promos before the movie and they guarantee you a good picture but that doesn't necessarily mean the theater is good. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're sitting in a decent seat. And I, I don't know. I just, I, I love the idea of going to a theater and expecting not only just a good movie. I mean, I, I, I think regardless of the, of the price of admission, if it's $6, if it's 8 bucks or whatever, I don't think a movie should ever be over 15 bucks. You should never have to worry about the projection being shitty or the sound being shitty or sitting in a, you know, a seat with cum spots all over it. And to me, that is what kind of keeps me from wanting to go to the movie theaters. Product wise, I do agree with you. I I mean, I loved watching Tin Cloverfield Lane at the movie theater. Uh, And I do hope that kind of starts the trend of of making more movies like that or trying or or believing that people will actually go see a movie like that at the movie theater but then again because it was tied to the first cloverfield movie who knows if people went to go see the movie because of the product itself or because of the tie with cloverfield it's all very interesting i i'm excited to see how this screening room deal turns out my last piece of news, I just want to mention this New York Post article here written by Lou Luminick, L-U-M-E-N-I-C-K. I posted this on Facebook a couple weeks ago, and Matt, I know you read it and was very much entertained by it. I think it's very interesting. It has strong ties with old Hollywood and Humphrey Bogart in particular. The article is entitled Meet the 92-Year-Old New York Woman Who Once Starred with Bogart. And this was actually published on February 17th of this year. And it's a very interesting article. 92 years old. She lives in New York. She's been living in the same West End Avenue apartment for more than half a century, this article says. It's fascinating. I'm just going to read a tiny selection here. Quote, seven decades ago, she unfortunately, her name is Sonia Darren, played Agnes, the elegant femme fatale who tangles with Bogart's private eye, Philip Marlowe, in the 1946 classic, The Big Sleep. In the chorus of her four scenes, Agnes, a grifter mixed up with a gang of blackmailers, watches one boyfriend shot to death and is later informed by phone by Marlowe that a guy who wanted to marry her has died rather than give her address to a hitman. Quote, I got a raw deal, end quote, the pitiless Agnes tells Marlowe in her final meeting in a car, trading some crucial information for 200 bucks for him so she can blow town. Quote, your kind always does, end quote, Marlowe replies. Darren's was the kind of showy performance that sometimes leads to big things. Dorothy Malone, who was a smaller part as a bookstore clerk who flirts outrageously with Marlowe, had a long career that included an Oscar for Best Supporting Actress. But Darren, who, unlike Malone, is mysteriously not billed in the credits of The Big Sleep, disappeared from the screen in 1950 after appearances in just four more movies. But why? For the 70th anniversary of the film's release, I tracked her down through one of her sons, former child actor Mason Reese, who in the 1970s achieved the kind of stardom that once eluded his mother. 
And uh, the article goes on to say that she granted him a rare interview. And it is, I think it's fascinating. And I highly recommend it. I am not going to read any of the quotes of hers because I am probably going to do it more of an injustice than anything else. So do check it out. It's the New York Post written by Lou Luminick. Meet the 92-year-old New York woman who once starred with Bogart. And that is my news. All right. Well, then, uh, moving along, it is now time for some copycat throwdown. It's... It's... The... The... Copy... Copy... Cat... Cat... Throwdown! Throwdown! That's right, it's the Copycat Throwdown! Well, that's right, it's the Copycat Throwdown! Stop it! Stop it! No, no, seriously, stop it. Oh, right, like, stop repeating? Stop repeating, right. Oh, okay. I'm gonna kick your ass. Throwdown time! And this time on Copycat Throwdown, we have 1989's Turner and Hooch versus 1989's K9. Uh, yes, that's right, folks, where a lovable bachelor cop is paired with a K9 partner. That's right, yes. You heard that. That was a real thing. That was a, such a real thing that it had competing movies and television series spawned from it and everything. Yes, that's right. Uh, yes, we've come a long way, baby. So, uh, Turner and Hooch is uh, the one that stars Tom Hanks. And he is basically um, very, very OCD about neatness and everything. Um, and, a, and a friend of, in a junkyard friend of his or I'm sorry, a friend who owns a junkyard uh, ends up murdered and the the junkyard guy's dog may have witnessed the crime. So he teams up to solve the crime with this dog. And of course, the dog is this um, huge, it's a um, dog de Bordeaux, Bordeaux, <laughs> Bordeaux, whatever the hell it is, <laughs> Dogu de Bordeaux. And basically... Just think huge, drooling machine. So naturally, it's all messy and, all, you know, and of course, oh, but he's so neat. Oh, and the dog's so messy. Oh, will they get along? Um, comparing to K9, uh, which is about a, a, a real hardworking detective who's already in the crosshairs of an evil drug kingpin. Uh, because he's so close, and an assassination attempt occurs, but he's still too tough to get a partner, uh, you know. And so, what does he do? He gets himself a police dog. Yeah, and this police dog is by the book, but not Detective Michael Dooley, who is played by James Belushi. So they have to team up to take out the drug pit. Or drug kingpin. Anyway, so these are the two competing competing films um, on on a technical level, purely objective technical level. Turner and Hooch is better acted, has a better story, um, and seems a little bit more um, slick. Canine for me has all the heart. 
Uh, it really does. I, I just, I found, I, I don't know what it was. I watched them both when they came out. And for me, I just loved K9 more. Uh, that be, maybe because of that nostalgia factor and everything. I simply just can't get over that. Um, I am certainly willing to concede that the more professional movie is Turner and Hooch. But for me, the winner must always be K-9. And with fabulous movies like K-9, is it any wonder we got, according to Jim? Hmm? 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 Anyway, so that's my pick. K-9 is the winner in this copycat throwdown. What do you got there, Tim? Man, I I hope we get in a massive fight over <laughs> whether if Turner and Hooch or K Nine is the better, which one of the better movie is. Uh, I did not like K Nine as much. I thought for a long time I've seen the movie, and it wasn't until last week when I uh, when I watched it that I realized no, I have not. I must have been thinking of one of the other fifteen hundred different buddy you know human human is a buddy with an animal type of movie maybe i had it confused with dunstan checks it and I, I don't know i don't know but <laughs> probably not uh canine if anything at times is a very amusing movie only because the movie is fucking awful and let me tell you why for one thing why was this made to be a pg-13 movie with all of this G-rated toddler humor. I mean, I honestly don't understand this. I cannot comprehend it. The movie is very much PG-13. It, it's, a, it's a very conventional 80s drug crime mystery movie. They do not uh, spare no expense featuring sex, both human and dog-related sex, violence, and enough language to ensure that no child under the age of 10 <laughs> or even 13 even should be uh, should attend a showing of this movie and this is coming from somebody who i love family funny goofy movies from the 80s especially the pg movies that should have been pg-13 movies or the pg-13 movies that should have been r movies but normally they're not made in this way you know, they give this dog, the canine, a cute personality, you know, and like when James Belushi, one of the many times James Belushi monologues endlessly to the dog, the dog responds to him. It takes on humanistic traits as if it can fully comprehend what Belushi is saying and comprehending the story and, and all the action that's happening around it. And that's what I mean by toddler humor, kid humor. It's humor and it's traits that this dog is taking on that belongs in a PG movie, not a movie that is your conventional run-of-the-mill Miami Vice type of knockoff. I mean, the cocaine, sex, violence, guns, threatening, and dog sex is all in this movie. I think I said I hated the movie. I don't hate the movie. I, I hate the direction the movie took. I'll say that. I hated the direction the filmmaker took. And yes, Turner and Hooch does have uh, some of the cutesy dog moments. Yes, Tom Hanks. I wouldn't say he he doesn't monologue to the dog. He mainly like talks at the dog, 
Slash kind of talks to the dog, but in a way to where he's getting, he's frustrated and just speaking out loud. And that is, to me, more fitting for that movie. Uh, Turner and Hooch is PG. It does have language. It does have stuff in it. And it has Tom Hanks in his underwear more often than you remember. If you haven't seen this movie in a while, he's in his underwear a whole lot. And there's actually a point where you do see some Tong Tong Hanks. (laughs) I wonder if there's an actor in Asia named Tong Hanks. Anyways, you do see some Tom Hanks 89 butt cheek there. Very pale, pasty white butt cheek coming out of his black underwear for all you ladies out there. So, yeah, I think it's obvious to say that I am on the side of Turner and Hooch. I just think all around it's a better movie. Uh, The comedy is better, I think. It holds up better now. If there was ever a movie like the film Rudy to be a staple on TNT or TBS... This is one of those. I think it's one of those movies. Or, and there is a reason why you can watch this movie or before watch this movie on TNT with all the commercials in it and not care a whole lot. So the copycat throwdown winner for me is Turner and Hooch. Cool. You admitted you didn't hate K9. I am satisfied. <laughs> all right well there we go so next week um we we talked about it and by god we are gonna do it we said when we were when we were checking out did it age well on witness we were like man we should do a was it worthy because we didn't watch any of the other movies that were nominated or anything so you know now we can look into that and whatever and tim was like yeah we should do that so that's what we're doing next week we're going to cover the was it worthy for 1985's witness because it won the at the 68th academy awards it won best original screenplay and best film editing so we are going to take a look back at that film revisit it and determine in our humble opinion um was it worthy So that's what we're doing for next week. And without further ado, I believe that brings us to the movies, does it not, sir? Movie it up. All right, folks, here we go. It's the movies. This week's movies are The Voices, Night of Cups, and Only Yesterday. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, wait a minute, that doesn't sound right. And you would be correct, because we actually had to drop one of the movies um, because it did not actually come out on time for us to be Midnight Special? Uh, Yes, Midnight Special. Well, it came out for me, but... Right, right. It did not come out for us. It came out for you, too. <laughs> so, uh, we had to drop that one, and we pulled in uh, Only Yesterday, which recently got, um, after a 25-year hiatus, managed to finally get its American release, or its North American release. Only Yesterday, a Studio Ghibli film. Anyway, so that's what got swapped out there. Uh, where would you like to start, sir? How about the surprisingly entertaining The Voices? 
I am down with that, sir. All right. Uh, voice, the Voices, 2014 German-American black comedy film. Uh, it is directed by Marjane, I'm sorry, Marjane Satrapi and written by Michael R. Perry. And the film stars Ryan Reynolds, uh, Gemma Arterton, Anna Kendrick, and Jackie Weaver. Uh, this stars Ryan Reynolds as Jerry, who's a very nice guy, works at a bathtub factory, and he has some lovely pets who he feels talk to him sometimes, as he so eloquently puts it. Um, and they are um, his dog and his cat, who kind of take the place of the good angel, bad angel kind of thing, or I'm sorry, you know, good angel or you know, the angel devil on the shoulder kind of deal. Um, interestingly enough, voiced by Ryan Reynolds. So, because it's you know you hear voices in your head, right? The voices. So, um, while he's trying to kind of do his, you know, just kind of go about his life and live it, and um, he has these wonderful experiences he more or less uh, tries to go carry on his life and he has kind of a crush at work and through a very unfortunate series of events may or may not kill somebody <laughs> and uh, very tucker uh, tucker and dale versus evil style of may or may not have killed somebody and from there he now has to deal with the voices to kind of carry out what he should do, which then, of course, informs the rest of the movie. And as I always say, shenanigans ensue. Um, this was a remarkably enjoyable black comedy. I haven't really had this much fun with a black comedy uh, since, really, Death to Smoochie. Um, and well no I, I take that back what's the one where they have the the breakfast party and the world's ending or whatever oh 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 shit yeah with david cross and yes uh, yes that okay i'm gonna I, even though i can't remember the name okay since that movie oh god damn what is that movie that called <laughs> i'll let him look that up while we're talking um so at any rate though it's just it's it's not that it's the best movie in the world. It's that it simply knows where to draw the line at uh, being dark versus being funny versus actually trying to make a point about the subject that it's talking about, which is someone who is literally um, controlled by the voices that are in their head. Um, and yet, while it does kind of speak to mental illness on the whole... It still knows that, look, it's this is still a zany film, and while the subject matter is dark, it doesn't mean that it's you, that you're not going to be able to laugh at it in certain ways. So the so that being said, the only thing that I didn't like was honestly, I did not like the ending to the movie. I felt like the movie was trying to make a penance for itself because of all of the things that Jerry goes through and all of the actions that he takes and everything and how everything keeps going down and down this hole. Um, by the time we get to the climax of the movie, um, Jerry's got really one of one or two choices. And I think the ending that it took was 
kind of a cop out. I think that it actually could have presented more of a. Um, I, I think it could have remained dark and zany, but at the same time, it still could have found new ways to be entertaining had they made the ending um, go the other way. There's a choice. He's got to make it. He makes this choice. But I think if he made the opposite choice, it would have been, I think it would have been better. Um, And so because of that, it totally changes the tone and then kind of leads you into just kind of a blasé last two or three minutes. Um, And... uh, yeah, so I don't know. I so because of that, I end up giving this one four out of five. It's a really enjoyable film. It's got um, it's really got a good story to tell. But for me, I really just felt like they copped out on the ending and kind of blew it from there. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't watch it, especially because you might think that they did do the right thing with the ending. So check it out. Four stars. What do you got, Tim? That David Cross black comedy movie. From 2013 is entitled It's a Disaster. Gotta see it. It's great. And, you know, I I think I agree. I'm pretty sure... God, I'm pretty sure we watched another black comedy recently that was pretty good. I'm drawing a blank. But The Voices, this was actually a surprise for me. It was even a surprise while I was watching it because it was one of those movies where the beginning is very imaginative. It's very... Inventive. In fact, this beginning reminded me of a Tim Burton-y type of movie. It had Tim Burton vibes to it. It was very colorful. It was very fairy tale like I love it. I, I really, in, in the introduction of Ryan Reynolds' character, every movie I see him in, I thoroughly enjoy. I mean, he might be, I, he's up there with one of my favorite actors. Even though some of the movies he's in aren't really that great, he's a dependable performer but the movie like i said it begins imagine uh, in a very fun imaginative tim burtony way and it becomes unbalanced and maybe too strange for its own good and it's very uneven for quite some time until the movie switches again when you realize oh this is a real issue he's struggling with. Like, oh, this is a problem. I I, I don't want to give anything away, so I'm trying to think of what they do. Like, they do a... I mean, there's a very clever scene where they show the audience what he is seeing when he is not taking his medication and what is actually happening... Or what, what he is seeing when... Yeah, what are you seeing when he is not taking this medication and what is actually going on when he is taking his medication? And right when they started using that to show you what was really happening, the movie takes a totally different tone. And then the movie became surprising and ultimately, I think, a very sad character study and that is when the movie becomes an enjoyable black comedy even though it is kind of it is kind of sad and a little i don't know maybe not distressing is the right word a good type of weird which i guess is what makes for a good black comedy on top of that i really i thoroughly enjoyed 
there's a great little end credits number that they do, and it's a lot of fun. It's a great weight off your shoulders after the final act of the film. So uh, look forward to that, especially. I give this one, because it the, the movie felt it was uneven for a big chunk of the runtime, but it was still good. I'm going to have to land on 3.75 out of 5. I do recommend it especially if you are a Ryan Reynolds fan. If you are not a very nitpicky type of person, I'm pretty sure you will enjoy this movie so much more. So do check it out. Awesome, sir. Uh, Where would you like to turn from here? How about Only Yesterday? Only Yesterday. The movie that you've seen only 12 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Well, all right. Yes, I, I, I can say I've seen it again now. Um... All right, so I have a buddy of mine, and he is a huge Studio Ghibli fan and actually got a Japanese import um, back in 2004, and when it arrived, we watched it. Uh, so that was my first uh, first time watching Only Yesterday. And then, of course, I kind of went through the exercise of watching it again for the show, and... And also, you know, wanting to see how it turned out with this, you know, special English dub for North American audiences 25 years later, blah, blah, blah. Well, here's the thing. I I, I admit it. I'm a subtitle snob, okay? Uh, um, some people like subbed. Some people like dubbed. I'm a subbed snob. I fully admit it. Um, I, I just... There's something about listening to these films in their native language and I, I don't know I just think the Japanese is beautiful and I think that the animation is done with Japanese in mind uh, regardless of how you feel about you know the characters and why they look and how they behave and how they might translate um, in appearance to an international audience it's still these films are still made with Japanese in mind and I think it really shows when the dubs come out. And I'm not saying that there aren't amazing dubs and people who really do care and people who understand the process and the cadence and things and, and really do give it their all. Because by God, without it, there wouldn't be people who would watch these movies otherwise. So, hey, more power to them. But with this particular technical aspect, 25 years later, it is so ridiculously obvious that you are listening to, to dialogue recorded 25 years later versus the 1991 cell animation that you're looking at so it's very very off-putting so for me i'm just going to judge the film on the content and presentation of the 1991 but please feel free to know that you can go and watch this movie as a dub now yay um this is a movie from studio ghibli and it is it came out in 1990. One, it is about a young lady named Tycho, who is a basically uh, someone who appears to almost be turning into a spinster, even though she's only 27. Film takes place in 1982, but um, she is basically kind of spending the film reminiscing about her fifth grade years. Oh, I'm sorry, her fifth grade year. And that time period in her life, which is, of course... Um, the late very the late the 60s and while she and, and as she is doing that she's 
really doing a compare and contrast of her life now versus what her aspirations and dreams of were then and how people in her life then have shaped her life and actually make themselves in that aspect a part of her life today or not a part of her life today as in terms of 1982 what what is so amazing about this film is that it is a straight up drama right there's no pretense there's no magic going on here there's no howl's moving castle there's no spirited none of that stuff is happening this is a simple straightforward drama and it's animated um and it was just un uh, unbelievable for its day because the audiences that eventually were attracted to it and the critical acclaim that it received as a result was something that was just completely unheard of and that's one of the reasons why the movie has been so endearing for so long because no matter what this film plays out like a solid drama it's just animated um so i think though that the really um there's only one thing about this movie that kind of draws it back and that is Tycho tends to really and i think it's more of a flaw in the writing of the story more than the characterization but Basically, by about the two-thirds point in the movie, Tycho really kind of bel belabors the idea of, am, am I really living the life that I should be living? Or am I, uh, you know, or, or am I, have I settled? Would my fifth grade counterpart still be proud of? I mean, these are things that you can think about and things that you can reflect on from the aspect of a child and then knowing what you know now as an adult. But I really feel that by the by the two-thirds mark, she just kind of belabors it and it tends to drag it out a little bit. Outside of that, um, it still works its way to, towards a great conclusion and the timing is amazing. The The time period is amazing. The acting is great. So I give this one 4.5 out of 5. Check it out, subbed. That's what I say. Five-star movie for me. I love Studio Ghibli, and I've heard about Only Yesterday. I've learned more about it over the past couple years uh, because I loved director Isao Takahata's The Tale of Princess Kaguya, which came out a couple years ago, which should have won the Academy Award for Best Animated Film two Academy Awards seasons ago. He has a very raw talent that I think even Miyazaki doesn't necessarily have, whereas Miyazaki has the, the wonderful ability of creating drama, human drama from the fantastical, Takahata can just create real human drama, drama. And that is what he did with both Only Yesterday and The Tale of the Princess Kaguya. And I'm sure I'm sure he's done it with other films. I am only familiar with these two. Um, I mean, he's been working closely with Miyazaki for many, many years, especially in the uh, 70s and 80s. 
So, I mean, I'm sure uh, most of his work is is very good. It's Only Yesterday is a, is a beautiful film. Like Matt said, when it came out, it was a surprise. I mean, it was one of the top-grossing Japanese movie uh, movies of 91, I think, is when it came out. And uh, it just surprised audiences because of it being a drama. It wasn't only limited... And the animation wasn't only wasn't limited to something of pure imagination. You know, people had something to relate to with this movie. And it's very interesting. And there are moments, guys, there are moments in this movie that will literally make your stomach drop, you know, and make your heart Twitter pate. <laughs> you will feel the, the 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 Twitter patient within you. Just these moments of loveliness, like when the girl and the boy kind of fall for each other and they're in the fifth grade. It just creates that feeling of children kind of falling in love for the very first time with one another. And it's very mature, but in a kid way. And it, it is absolutely beautiful. Just it, like there's that moment where they run into each other after the boy plays his baseball game where she wants to cheer for him, but she can't cheer for him because he's on the opposing team and all her girlfriends are, you know, would get mad at her. And But they run into each other in an alleyway and they they both agree that they love cloudy days opposed to, I think, stormy days or sunny days or something something like that. And they both agree to it, and they part their separate ways, and he walks off, and she starts walking off, and she gets all Twitter-pated and giddy, and then she starts walking up to the sky and starts, you know, like she's floating, floating to the heavens, into her bed, and all that stuff. And just so many beautiful, real human moments throughout the entire movie. And the issues that I did have with that, with this movie, by the end of it, I really didn't care. I mean... It was one of those movies to where I—I I mean, I, I could be very—I could be nitpicky, but I there's just honestly no reason to. Uh, again, this is a five-star movie. I highly recommend it. Check it out at the movie theater. I think the movie aged beautifully. Matt, I don't know if you feel the same way or not, especially with the opening shot of the camera, or you know the you know the camera, <laughs> as if they were actually shooting it, but the shot of. <laughs> Uh, of of the camera or whatever of the, the view going up the building is absolutely yes. beautiful and it's a oh, great way of starting great. off the movie and in that regard when it comes to oh man this is a japanese animation from 1991 it's going to be dated no not at all it's it's beautiful it's 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 gorgeous to look at and it's a great story i just kind of wonder how if it'll get any oscar attention this year since it's technically a U.S. release, probably not. Because even without a form, even without this release now, I mean, they've had all this time. To, it could have been a nominated for an a, for like best foreign film, even though that would have been highly unlikely. Still, could have made the rounds as best animated feature. So I don't know. I don't. I don't see it getting a nod. But if so it did, that would that would be pretty cool. That would be pretty cool. I think I, I I would not have a problem voting for this one over Zootopia. <laughs> That's for sure. Uh, anyway, all right, cool. Well, then that is going to leave us with Night of Cups, the 2015 American experimental drama film, uh, written and directed by Terrence Malick. Um, this film stars Christian Bale, Kate Blanchett, Natalie Portman, Antonio Banderas, Brian Dennehy. 
um, and a host of others. And we follow along Rick, who is a screenwriter living in uh, L.A., who basically is trying to come to terms with his life that he is not happy with. Um, and yet he seems to be trapped in this downward spiral of Hollywood excess. Um, the film has kind of a prologue setup and is also done in a chapter based scenario and kind of wraps around the idea of tarot cards. Um, for example, Knight of Cups is a tarot card. Uh, the Hanged Man is a tarot card. The High Priestess is a tarot. So all of these things are segments in this film, and not an anthology kind of thing. They're, they're, they are related, and they deal with people who would fit in that niche of the tarot card, depending on its aspect. It's sometimes multiple aspects. And so they focus on different people, Throughout, though one person might appear in more than one segment per se, but they tend to focus on one aspect. So, um, there are some really interesting characterizations. Um, Kate Blanchett, also, I think Brian Dennehy, who um, is Rick's dad, um, I thought was a really good character in this film. But for me, I I mean I I just I I really and truly believe that this is a guy who has I I I just think he is trying too hard to be avant-garde. <laughs> I'm a poet and I didn't know it. Um and I'm not saying that as a slam because I know he did the tree of life and everything. Um, and, and I know how much that Tim, um, you enjoyed this movie, but I, I just, I, it just wasn't for me. It was too out there. Uh, the story, uh, I, I, I got what it was trying to do, but I just did not dig the presentation um but the characterizations themselves are really interesting and it, you know it might be your bag it just was not mine i give this one two stars and i give it the two stars i do not like this movie but i cannot deny that there are really good actors and really good characterizations just presentation and style didn't do it for me i'm sorry so two stars Bring us home there, Tim. Tree of Life, Knight of Cups is not. <laughs> For sure. Knight of Cups isn't as pretentious as it very well could have been. It needs more narrative. It is definitely visuals trumps trumping the story. It's an ideal example of style over substance, especially. The movie lacks something that resonates with its audience. I mean, we don't care. We don't give a shit about this character because we have absolutely nothing to relate to. It's about Hollywood industry and this writer over... I mean, yeah, you know, he's trying to come to terms with the death of his brother. or I guess it was the suicide of his brother. I think that's what it was. And how it, how it affected his other brother, and especially his father and their relationship with one another. 
But the movie doesn't really focus too much on that. Like I said, it's all visual. It's all style. It shows you the idea of Hollywood. And what it really needed was something more of a plausible view of Hollywood. Yeah, you know, you got some good shots of uh, Santa Monica and Venice and some really cool downtown shots that are pretty accurate to how you would experience those particular areas at that time of day, especially. Although you're watching it from the comfort and safety of your own home, <laughs> which is a plus. You know, that actually might heighten your experience a little bit more, especially during the Skid Row, uh, the Skid Row scenes. So in that regard, that movie, the movie does a good job in doing that. But again... You need more of a narrative. You need more of a reason to care and to actually believe what this character is going through could be a plausible thing. I was able to relate to The Tree of Life, which was the movie that Terrence Malick did a couple movies ago. And I was able to relate with what was going on with the characters in that movie. So the artistic way that the movie was was shot, the very heavy artistic style of shooting was more warranted and it was more fitting with the movie and I'm not saying that I love the tree of life because it was made in Houston but it was the locations and style of shooting and the way of showing how this child was growing up in his relationship with his father that I think resonates through the generations or that can resonate through the generations with multiple uh, fathers and sons with me, that I mean, that's what made the movie. You know, that was the narrative, and it was the the feeling and the emotions that this kid and his brother and his mother were going through. Like I said, that warranted the artistic direction and shooting style. And because Knight of Cups is solely visuals or style over substance, the movie doesn't hold your attention from beginning to end. And I think that is the movie's main problem. If you're going to watch this movie the right way, watch it with full sound, because that will be the only way your attention will be held. Watch it when you're stoned as shit. Don't watch it when you're drunk, but get a little high, and maybe the, you know, all the camera movements and stuff will be a little bit more pleasing to your mood especially but i give knight of cups 2.5 out of 5 i like how terrence malick is trying to be artsy and really there's not a whole lot of directors that will try to do something like this the movie's still being interesting if you're only interested in the art of shooting a movie then i'm sure this is heaven for you so go and check it out i suppose but be high be high 2.5 out of 5 Night of Cups. All right, very good. And that is going to bring us to the end of the movies. Next week's movies are going to be Pee-wee's Big Holiday, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, and Experimentor. Uh, Experimentor is also on Netflix along with Pee-wee's Big Holiday. So... I think that is all, except for the spiel. It's time for the spiel, is it not, sir? 
Spiel on! All right, well, the music you've been listening to, as always, has been brought to us by our music partners, Cries of Solace. You can check them out at ReverbNation.com and Facebook.com, both slash Cries of Solace. As for us, we are, of course, the SLS Cast, and you can find us at SLSCast.com. You can send us an email to the show at SLSCast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can even follow me, this is Matt, on Twitter at nitwit12345 you can climb aboard that information superhighway and track down Tim on Twitter if that's your heart's desire and of course you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio so until next week this is Matt saying that thanks to Brian Dennehy I get to say this it took a long time for me to have any impact in the business because I don't look like an actor I didn't sound like an actor take care cinephiles and we'll talk at you again next week again for listening to the SLS cast with your hosts Matt and Tim. Remember that you can find us at slscast.com, at the SLS cast for Twitter, also on Facebook, and you can always subscribe on iTunes. Thanks again for listening.